For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Help us now as we take these few moments to think about it. I pray you'll fill me with your spirit. Forgive me for anything that hinders. Help me, Lord, today to speak only the things that ought to be spoken and the things that should be. I pray, Lord, you give me boldness to say loudly and clearly and practically. And I pray, Lord, you give us all ears to hear. Father, this is such an important passage. Help us to not neglect it. Help us to not ignore it. Help us to not gloss it over. May we see the amazing truth that is contained in these verses, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, each message that we have come across, or each passage that we have come across in Romans, seems to me to amaze and astound more than the one prior. Uh, as I have studied Romans, I, I just cannot help but notice how it just continues to get more and more amazing. Consider just three verses. I want to pull three out of what we just read there from our, from our text, and this is what I want us to concentrate on this morning. Just think about these three verses. When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, we could read those words over and over and over again and not get the whole of it. We could meditate on those words all of our lives and not totally come to grips with what they teach. And you know what I believe? I believe after we've been in heaven for an eternity, we still won't be able to get our mind around. I think we'll still be a rejoicing and astonished and in awe of what God has done. Notice that even though there are three verses in this section, that I've pulled out of this section anyway, and even though our English Bibles use 55 words to get this point across, I think we could sum it up with two words. Two words that are repeated here. And two words that are just as amazing and they're important as anything you can think of. It's in verse 6, it's in verse 8, and those are the words Christ died. Christ died. I want us to think about that just for a moment this morning. Christ died. Number one, Christ died because we were helpless. Did you see that there when we were without strength? We were helpless. And you know, it would be a temptation for us to glance over this part and just kind of gloss over it, but we dare not do that. The when of the thing. Christ died for us when we were helpless. Now, Paul notes here that it's possible for people to die for others. He talks about that. He, he makes that, uh, uh, that point, and we would agree with him. We could probably all come up with examples of someone who has given their life for somebody else. But always, in every example that we would be able to come up with, or probably every example that we would come up with, there would be some goodness in the one. There would be something, some quality in the person died for that, that you would say, oh, I can see why they made that sacrifice. I was reading James Montgomery Boyce's commentary on this, and uh, he listed a couple of examples. He told the story of two men who were trapped in a mine cave-in, and poisonous gas was escaping. 
One man had a wife and three children. He also had a gas mask, but that gas mask had been damaged in the explosion, and so he was going to die. Except that the other man who was trapped with him took off his own mask and forced it on the other one and said, You have Mary and the children. They need you. I am alone and can go. And we have all read such amazing things, haven't we? We feel like we're on hallowed ground when we read about that kind of a sacrifice somebody. Boyce mentions the second one. He talked about a, a, a young boy uh, in one of our large cities, and he said, he said this, and I'll just read it. He said his sister had been crippled and needed an operation. The operation was provided for her, but after the operation, the girl needed a blood transfusion, and the boy, her brother, was asked to volunteer. He was taken to her bedside and watched tight-lipped as a needle was inserted into his vein and blood was fed into his sister's body. When the transfusion was over, the doctor put his arm on the boy's shoulder and told him that he had been very brave. The youngster knew nothing about the nature of a blood transfusion. But the doctor knew even less about the actual bravery of the boy. Until the boy looked at him, up at him and asked steadily, Doc, how long before I croak? He had gotten the idea that he would have to die to save his sister. And he had thought that he was dying drop by drop as his blood flowed into her veins. But he did it anyway. We all hear stories like that, don't we? I just received my copy of Ashley's War. Ashley White, our local hometown hero who gave her life in uh, Afghanistan or Iraq. And uh, like so many of our brave men and women, have sacrificed for others. We can think of examples. But the differences between those kinds of examples, and I do not mean to water them down at all. They are wonderful. And I don't think Paul meant to water them down at all. But the difference in those kind of sacrifices and the death of Christ is that Christ died for those who are without strength, without value, without any, any uh, internal quality that would have merited it without any goodness at all. Notice the four descriptions of the ones Christ died for that are mentioned here. They were powerless in verse number 6 or without strength. They were ungodly, verse 6. They were sinners, verse 8. They were enemies, verse number 10. And throughout Romans, we've seen this. We saw it mostly in the first couple of chapters, but we've seen it over and over and over again. We are helpless, ungodly sinners. We are enemies of God and we're able to, unable to do a thing to change that. And that's who Christ died for. Turn over to John chapter 5 with me. John chapter 5. I don't think maybe there's a better example that we could look at than this story in John chapter 5. The healing of the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda. You know, every time we've been to Israel, we have stood and looked down into the ruins of that pool of Bethesda. And I have always thought of this passage as I stand there and stare into that. John chapter 5, let's start reading in verse number 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. This man was impotent. 
He was without strength, in other words. He had been in that condition a long time. He had nobody to help him. He was helpless and had no hope apart from such help. And so what had happened? What happened? Jesus helped him. So what a picture it is of what we're seeing here. When we were without strength, we were helpless. H.G. Moole, in his commentary on Romans, says this is a gentle euphemism for our utter impotence, our guilty inability to meet the sinless claim of the law of God. Helpless. Helpless. You know, if you have trouble, and I think some people do, if you have trouble getting your mind around the love of God for you, if you find yourself just kind of yawning at the thought, oh yeah, Jesus loves me. If you want, find yourself wondering why some of us Christians just can't stop talking about it, can't stop thinking about it, can't stop singing about it, sometimes can't stop weeping about it. Maybe you just haven't seen how desperate you are apart from it. Helpless. Timothy Keller said, if you have a small view of your sin, God's grace will be small to you. Christ died. Christ died for you because you were without strength, because you were helpless, because you were powerless. And if you can't see that this morning, you need to pray and ask God to help you see it. Open your eyes to it because you'll never understand his love for you until you see just how unlovely you are. Apart from him. So Christ died when we were helpless. Let's notice number two. Christ died because he loved us. Christ died because he loved us. Marvel at it again. Look at, look at those two amazing words in verse six and verse eight. Christ died. Christ died. And in verse eight we see that his dying was a demonstration, a demonstration of God's love for us, for me, for you. How could we want for or expect a greater demonstration than that? Christ died. So many want to think of Christ's example. And it was good. It was perfect. It was wonderful. Or, or, or they want to learn from his great words and his teachings, which we could study for a lifetime and never, never plumb the depths. All good. All good. But those are not the central thing. Again, let me quote from Moore. He says this. He said, for them Christ died Not lived, let us remember, but died. It was a question not of example, not of persuasion, not even of utterances of divine compassion. It was a question of law and guilt, and it was to be met only by the death sentence and the death fact. Christ died. And dying, he demonstrated and demonstrates God's love for us, for you. It's interesting, isn't it, how often doubters, infidels, atheists, will say something like this. If God is a God of love, then how could he... And you can fill in the blank, because they will come up with any number of different situations that occur in our world that they believe a loving God would would necessarily have to intervene if he truly loves. But what further proof could we ask for? What further proof could we expect than the cross of Christ? Someone might say to God, do you love me? And if so, why don't you prove it? And I don't think God would need to say a single word. He'd merely point at the bleeding form of his son hanging on the cross. No further proof. That is the proof. The cross is the great demonstration, the great evidence of his love for all and for all mankind. Notice verse number 8 says God demonstrates. If you're holding a King James Bible, it says God commendeth his love. Notice that it doesn't say demonstrated. It says demonstrates. Not past tense. 
The word literally means he keeps on demonstrating his love in this act. It was not a one-time demonstration. It's ongoing. On that terrible Black Friday, anybody looking at the cross and watching his blood drip to the ground would have seen a demonstration that could not be matched of the love of Christ. Hmm. They might have been just like the centurion at the foot of the cross who saw and declared, surely this was the Son of God. And in the 2,000 years that have spanned from then to now, there has been no other demonstration that could match that one. Always the demonstration of His love would be the cross. And one day when we're going to get to heaven, we're going to be able to declare, just as John Newton declared in his beloved hymn, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Why will we still be singing His praises, his praises 10,000 years into eternity? Because every time, every time we look face to face at our Lord Jesus Christ and we see the scars in His hands, we're going to be reminded of the great demonstration of the love of God. God demonstrates His own love toward us then, now, and Forever. Not a past tense thing. How do, we, how do we get our minds around this? Can you get your mind around that? How can we begin to understand how much God loves us? How much He loves me? How much He loves you? How do we get our mind about it? God loves you. Boyce in his commentary again mentions that the section starting here, starting actually in verse number 5, is the first mention of God's love in the epistle of Romans. He's talked about a lot of things. This is the first time he's brought up the, the fact of God's love. And what an amazing mention it is. God loves you. How do I know, you might ask? And the answer would be a simple nod in the direction of the cross. Just look at that, would be his reply. God loves you. How much does he love me, you might ask? And again, a glance toward the dying, bleeding Lamb of God. And the quiet thought. That much. That much. How can we get our minds around this? The songwriter tried. He said, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and rescued from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? So let's sum this up. Christ died. He died. His death was when we needed it, in due time. It was because we needed it. When we were without strength, it was for those who needed it, the ungodly. Christ died. He died because it was the only way to save us. He died in our place and as our substitute, a glorious exchange. His death for mine. His life for mine. And He died to demonstrate how very much God loves us. This is the Gospel. This is the good news. That we preach. Timothy Keller said the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. Christ died. I read where Swiss theologian Karl Barth. Where's Alex? Is Alex in here somewhere? He's writing. He would have liked this one. Swiss theologian Karl Barth was visiting this country some years ago before he died in 
He was holding a question and answer session and somebody stood up and, and they asked this question. They said, Dr. Barth, what is the greatest thought that has ever gone through your mind? And the questioner probably expected some very deep theological answer. Something like Einstein would give if you were being asked to explain the theory of relativity or something like that, because that's the way Barth was. But here was Barth's reply. He said, the the greatest thought that has ever gone through my mind, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Hmm. You are loved, my friend. Do you know it? And if you have gotten your heart and mind around the truth of God's love for you, love that found an ultimate expression On the cross. Have you acted on it? Have you done anything about it? What must I do, you might say? And we could answer that by just jumping a couple chapters ahead, and we'll get to this eventually in our study in Romans. But we we go to Romans chapter 9, and we read this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, Confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe it? If so, will you say so? Will you call upon him and ask for the gift of salvation that he died to give you? 